You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, Episode 55. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. How many times have you told yourself, I just need to manage my stress better and everything will be okay? I think I probably say that to myself 55 times a day, no joke. But what does it actually mean to manage stress? Does it mean trying to have less stress in life? Does it mean dealing with the stress that inevitably comes with life in a better way? Does it mean bath bombs? Does it mean meditation? Does it mean something different to each one of us? We explore all of these questions and more in the interview today on the podcast. Today, we interview Kathleen Kelly. Kathleen is a professor of physical therapy, a board-certified neurological clinical specialist, a certified yoga and meditation teacher, and most recently, a certified life coach. Kathleen helps physical therapists and other people in healthcare overcome stress and anxiety and love their career again. Kathleen reconnects people with their love for healthcare by creating personalized self-care rituals and brain-healthy habits. Now, the wisdom Kathleen shares in this interview is applicable to every human, whether you work in healthcare or not. And if you do work in healthcare, listen up, because I guarantee the stuff that she teaches you here will definitely make it more enjoyable for you to go to work. Without further delay, here is the interview with Kathleen. Kathleen, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. I am happy to have you here. Thank you, Michelle. I'm really glad to be here. And today we are going to talk all about stress management, which in this day and age, I think is top of mind for most of us, whether we're struggling with weight or not. But before we dive into the good stuff, Kathleen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you came to work with stress management? Uh, yeah, I. Uh, so my name is Kathleen Kelly, and I am a professor of physical therapy at a small university in the northeast of the United States. And my area of interest has always been uh, neurology. So I started as a therapist way back when treating people with stroke and head injuries. So I've always had a keen interest on neuroanatomy, neuroscience, brain health, and that evolved into becoming a yoga teacher, becoming a meditation teacher, and then most recently becoming a life coach. And it just seemed very natural for me to begin coaching people in healthcare who don't love their jobs anymore because Mm -hmm. they're so stressed out and burnt out. Um, I did my certification during COVID. So it was really timely for me to take a step back from my career and look at the bigger picture of what was happening in healthcare, what was happening in my life, and then be able to integrate some of the research that I've been reading for many years on, you know, how, how do we keep the brain healthy so that it can do its good work and not Mm -hmm. always feel like it needs a rest or it needs a break or it needs a nap. 
Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I did my coach certification during COVID as well as an emergency physician working on the front lines of this pandemic. And I think a lot of people looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. But in retrospect, I see it as the thing that actually allowed me to get through the pandemic with my mental health relatively intact anyway, um, because it was really something outside of healthcare um, and outside of the stress of the pandemic um, to focus my creative energy on. And I think it gave me a little bit of a balance, even though it was, you know, certainly a burden on my time and, and a little bit of my energy as well, I think in the balance, it really just served a huge purpose of, of keeping my heart um, in a place where it was constantly fulfilled so that I could go to work in the emergency department um, and know that there was something more for when I got home. So I think, I think a lot of us chose different pathways um, in healthcare and even not um, during the, the pandemic, just, just as we navigated different ways of trying to cope. Yeah, for me, I think coaching has filled in a, a gap as far as my own abilities to see things more objectively. Mm -hmm. You know, I could be really calm on the on the yoga mat and not bring it with me. Right. And I could meditate and feel pretty good for a couple hours, but by the end of the day, everything, you know, went to crap. Mm -hmm. So coaching filled in that next piece where you could really look at, okay, how am I contributing to my own demise? How am I contributing to my own stress? Of course, you know, healthcare was very stressful during the pandemic and teaching on Zoom is not ideal and it's stressful for everybody. But how am I contributing to that? By the way, I'm thinking about it. So coaching added that one extra piece to really give me like a full complement of, of tools mm -hmm. to manage my own mind, manage my own stress. And really, I actually just wrote a blog about like, we don't really manage stress. It's like managing the rain. It's raining. Mm -hmm. Good for you. <laughs> you don't manage it. You yeah. accept it and decide, okay, what will I do? Will I stay in? Will I get an umbrella? Will I get a raincoat? What will I do? Okay. We don't manage the circumstances. We right. decide how we're going to respond and decide what tools we might pull out for one situation versus another. And mm -hmm. coaching really helped me kind of put that in perspective instead of, you know, I would like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a meditation teacher. Why am I always so anxious? Like beating myself up for not having enough tools. I don't do that anymore. I just think, okay, this tool didn't work today. What tool <laughs> could I use instead? But you said a lot of interesting stuff in there. And also even in the beginning when you were introducing yourself, you mentioned stress as being a brain thing, which I think mm -hmm. is really interesting because I think most of us, when we use that phrase, manage stress, what we think about is bath bombs and, you know, pedicures or going for a walk or, you know, physically like doing physical things with the body. Is that the right way we should be looking at this? You know, there's the right way is the way that works for you. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. right way is the way that you will do consistently. So if in your mind, you think the only way to manage stress is take a bath, but I never have time to take a bath, then that's not the right way 
for you. Like what works for you? What, you know, make a list of all the things that in the past have worked for you and then pick one that you have time for right at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a really firm believer that you won't be able to manage any type of anxiety or stress or overwhelm if you're exhausted and undernourished mm-hmm. because the anxiety and the overwhelm is coming from that primitive part of your brain that doesn't need as much sleep and doesn't need as much nutrition. Mm-hmm. But for you to be able to look at the situation and say, okay, I'm going to the emergency department today. Many of the people there are going to have COVID. What am I, how am I going to manage myself? For you to be able to think that way, you need your prefrontal cortex, your higher part of your brain on board. And that lady is a diva. She needs eight (laughs) hours of sleep. Yes, she she is. (laughs) Good nutrition. She Mm -hmm. needs adequate hydration, right? She needs all the comforts of home before she's going to give you her her best work. So like, what's the best way to manage stress? Get eight hours of sleep and eat well. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that would be a whole other podcast episode on its (laughs) own right there. But if if I'm understanding you, what you're saying is that it's, it's not really managing stress that we're doing in that, um, it's, it's more optimizing ourselves to navigate through the stress that is inevitably going to be in our lives. Yes. Right. hundred percent. We want to create a healthy environment for our brain so mm-hmm. that we can handle whatever comes our way so that we can uh, widen our ability to be resilient, meaning more, more and more comes at you and you handle more and more right. as opposed to that feeling of, more and more is coming at me and I'm handling less and less until I burn out and shut down. Right. Right. And I, I like that you mentioned sleep and nutrition as the first part of this, because I think if we automatically jump to the bath bombs and alone time or, you know, whatever and else, and, um, without addressing the sleep and nutrition piece first, it's a little bit putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, a hundred percent. Taking a bath every night doesn't work if you are sleeping four hours and, you know, living on, in my town, you could live on pizza. (laughs) Oh, I think in most of our towns, you could live on pizza (laughs) for sure. So a bath just isn't going to cut it. Your Mm -hmm. your brain will be screaming really for more as time in terms of rest and nutrition and really just asking you to treat it better. Right, right. And I I think the reason why most of us will gravitate towards things like baths and walks or, you know, alone time is because what that does is relax the nervous system a little bit. Um, I, I think that we think it's relaxing the body, but it's doing that via relaxing the nervous system. And if the nervous system isn't getting the sleep it needs, then those are really broken strategies. Now, of course, I know what listeners are out there thinking, thinking they're, they're hearing this and they're saying, I don't have time for a bath, but I definitely don't have time for more sleep. (laughs) There's too much on the go. And so I think this is where the whole mindset piece of stress management comes in. So do you have any thoughts on 
where a person could get started in looking at how stress is affecting their lives and what they want to do about it in terms of getting back to these basics of sleep and nutrition? Yeah, I think the the first thing is if that's your primary thought, I don't have time for more sleep or my favorite one, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my favorites. I would ask you to really look at your to-dos, right? At your have-tos and really, really notice what can come off the list, what can be delegated, what can wait. Do you have to? When my kids were little, I had a rule, one sport, one activity per semester. (laughs) They lived around my schedule. And sometimes it was hard. Sometimes you have to say no. Uh, You're not joining Girl Scouts because you need to finish your soccer season. Or no, you're not playing lacrosse and soccer. And that was for me just as much as for them. Like I'm teaching them how to create boundaries and how to look at have to or want to, you know, I like to, I love to, which one do you love to? And really when we look at our big long lists, there's so many things that can either come off permanently or be delegated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me being in healthcare, I am a lot, I'm around a lot of type A people. I don't Mm -hmm. know about you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when we delegate, we sometimes don't like how other people do things. Oh, well, (laughs) you know, that's the second piece. Oh, is it done? Like, are the kids home and safe? I know you wanted them picked up at this time and you wanted the homework finished and you wanted the shoes put away, but are they home? Are they safe? Did that task get taken off your plate? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. it's good enough. It's good and enough. And I think holding a lot of expectations for other people uh, really is one of the things that creates stress for us. You know, oh, I delegate sure. to you yeah. and I expect you to do it how I want it done. Now I just created more stress for myself. Yes. Yes. And I think what also adds to our stress collectively is we're also in this culture that everything needs to be done right now, fast. You know, people expect you to respond to texts and emails promptly. They want it done, you know, in very precise ways. And we're all very concerned of of not living up to other people's expectations, which puts so much pressure on, on us. And a lot of that is pressure that we put on ourselves by allowing ourselves to fall into all of those expectations. So I, I have set boundaries for myself to help in this regard in that I close down all of my electronics in the early evening. So I don't respond to emails or texts or anything in the evenings because I'm not even checking them. And people in my life know that if they, you know, call or text or email me after 7 p.m., then they're just going to have to wait till the next day. And I'll take my weekends off and I put, you know, boundaries around that. And in my email, I'll even say at the bottom that, um, I will not be responding to emails until Monday. Right. And so that, that I think helps train people in my life to understand that these are what, what my boundaries are, because what I was finding, um, earlier in the pandemic, when we were having meetings in the hospital 
all of the time. And all of my friends and family had questions about the coronavirus that we didn't yet know answers to. And I was getting bombarded from all angles. And after a couple of weeks of being nonstop on my phone, I said, you know, this is not sustainable for me. And I immediately just put these boundaries in place. And I think that was another thing that um, that helped with my stress levels throughout the pandemic as well, was just understanding how all of the inputs from the world were affecting my, my nervous system and my stress levels. And that it was okay for me to put boundaries around that um, in order to take care of myself. And I think, um, I think that's one of the hardest things for like career women who also have Mm -hmm. families is, is putting a boundary saying, Mm -hmm. saying no. And I think there's so many things about boundaries that we, we just don't understand one, the boundaries for you. It's not for anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's for you. And it's not a thick brick immovable wall it's mobile you can change it whenever you want and sometimes when you put up a boundary like for you 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 set a time boundary on answering emails and texts Mm -hmm. the people outside the boundary so the person who only texts at 11 because that's what's convenient for them sometimes that person is angry that's 100 percent normal and it's not your fault Mm-hmm. You didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So I've had, when I have talks with therapists about setting boundaries on their schedule with patients, right? Cause now we have apps and we have email. So patients are demanding more and more of their time mm-hmm. outside of the therapeutic day. The patients get angry mm-hmm. while they're upset. They're mad. Yes. Cause that's the normal response for a boundary. And that's not on you. You didn't do anything. Yeah wrong and you don't have to manage their anger and eventually people get over it mm-hmm. you know it took my teenager until she was about 19 to get over the boundaries <laughs> but people get over Enough. it people start to respect you and you never know what you might be teaching someone like you put a boundary as, at 7 p.m mm-hmm. maybe the people in your life who were texting you and emailing you at 8 9 and 10 thought huh could I do that? That's kind of cool. Like you never know what you might be putting out in the world when you take care of you. Oh, so true. And I, I actually never thought of it that way. Um, but that that's actually really valuable um, message is that when you are enforcing boundaries in your life, how, how that affects people in a positive way in terms of how that encourages them to look at their own life and where maybe they need to institute some boundaries as well. And another example of this, which I think is important, is a while back, somebody asked me what I thought the number one self-care thing I could do for myself was. And she had this list of prompts to, to kind of get me to the answer. And what I came up with was sleep for me, because... I, if there is anything that goes in my life, sleep is the thing that affects me the most. So, I mean, if I have a crappy day of eating, yes, I mean, I feel a little bloated and sluggish and off, but if I have less than my eight hours of sleep, I like my day is, is done for, like I can just expect that I'm not going to be productive in a good mood, um, or anything. And in fact, if I'm not sleeping well, then I'm more likely to have a bad eating day, um, as well. So for, for, for me in my life, sleep is actually the, 
um, the foundation for everything else um, to happen the way I want it to in my life. And so sleep is now the thing that I prioritize. So the first thing that I plan when I wake up in the morning is, you know, looking at when I'm going to go to bed <laughs> and fitting in my day around that. And um, I, I'm an early riser. I get up, I get up at 530 um, on days that I don't have evening shifts in the emergency department. And my husband likes to um, get get up a fair bit later. So we have different bedtimes. Um, and this was a source of frustration in our marriage, you know, for a long time until I just sat him down and said, listen, like, this is when I need to go to bed. And this is when I'm going to go to bed. I'm sorry. And, you know, we just found, uh, found a way through that. And we we now have a rhythm where everything works, works out, you know, just fine. But for a number of years in my marriage, I was staying up late, you know, just to be able to go to bed with him. And then my sleep was suffering because of that. And then everything else downstream started suffering as well. And so just even making that one change in my marriage and the subsequent effect it had on my sleep had a huge impact on my overall stress levels um, moving forward from that, for sure. Well, it definitely changes your ability to handle whatever comes your way the next day if you've had your proper night's sleep. It gives your brain, uh, it sets your brain up for success as opposed mm -hmm. to lack of sleep, which really sets your brain up for failure. And it's really a myth, I'll catch up on my sleep on the weekend. Mm -hmm. It's a myth. Our, your brain needs that rest every single night. So many things are happening in your sleep that you take for granted and don't even know about, right? Consolidation of memories, mm -hmm. um, cleaning out of the brain, the lymphatic system of the brain is working in the evenings. And you mentioned when you have a poor night's sleep, you're more likely to have a poor day of nutrition the next day, mm -hmm. which is, it, it's not, you're not imagining that a poor night's sleep changes the hormonal profile for the whole next day. Mm -hmm. So you are more likely to crave something salty and crunchy that tends to not be best on the nutrition side. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think really sleep is the priority for humans in general, because we have nothing else that can replace or take the place of or mimic sleep, right? Mm -hmm. If a bath doesn't work for you, you could try a walk. If meditation doesn't work for you, you could try yoga. If walking doesn't work for you, you could try running, but there's nothing that substitutes for a good night's sleep. Right, right. And so once you are able to optimize your sleep and your nutrition, what are the next steps, right? Because I, I, like the, the sleep, the sleep and the nutrition is certainly going to help, but there's still going to be stress fires, you know, to put out um, as, as we go through our days. So what are next steps in terms of managing stress? Yeah, I think being really conscious of not falling into the trap of I'm multitasking. Mm -hmm. We all have our phone. It's our, you know, fifth appendage and we're all walking and staring at our phone or 
on a webinar, checking our emails on our phone, or having two windows open on the computer. There's actually no such thing as multitasking. All you're doing is rapidly switching from task to task, which exhausts you and stresses you out. Mm -hmm. So like I'm on this call with you. I do have my phone over here, but it's off. I'm not mm -hmm. looking at it. And as much as I can, all the notifications on my computer are shut off. Mm -hmm. Good luck trying to email me while I'm busy because I won't see it. Uh, when I take a walk now with my dog, I don't bring my phone. You know, right. a lot of people podcast or music when they walk. I just don't even I don't do that anymore. So being really cognizant of, of it's really mindfulness, doing one task at a time, giving it your full attention, and then moving to the next task instead mm -hmm. of trying to go from task to task. And I really like, like if it's possible, when you finish a task, can you get up and do a two or three or four or five minute walk? Like, can mm -hmm. you get your body moving and can you get your brain looking at something? I'm very lucky where I work. I have beautiful windows and I could go for a walk outside pretty quickly uh, if I wanted to. So that's like the perfect balance for your body and your mind to do your tasks and then get outside, mm -hmm. do your tasks and then do something that's not so important, not so stressful. Mm -hmm. uh, as a physician in the emergency room, I imagine you have a lot less control over your schedule. <laughs> but yes, I guess really attending like to the patient that you're with. And when yes. someone tries to interrupt you, say, excuse me, I'm just going to finish and I'll get to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're on one task, if possible, yeah. at a time. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to be on just one task in the emergency department as well, um, yeah. which I think is one of the things that contributes to burnout in my profession for sure. But I, I have rituals around my shifts. Um, so there are things that I do. I do um, a meditation before I start my shift. So I'm at least starting with a little bit of a clean slate. And I do go and hide in the bathroom for 10 minutes in the middle of my shift to do it again. Um, you know, if, I hope none of my colleagues are listening. <laughs> they don't know that I do that, but I do. And I think it's really, it's really important um, for me to have that balance throughout um, my shift as well. And I love and I, that. I, right? I, I hide in the bathroom at family functions. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. I, I do too. It, it's my, it's my thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure my family thinks I've got digestive issues, but it's not, it's just my little escape <laughs> for time to time. I totally hear what you're saying about the multitasking though, because when I look at good days and bad days, if, if I look at days outside of the hospital, right? Good days versus bad days. What seems to differentiate the two is how much I'm trying to accomplish in the span of that day. So if I'm setting like a realistic schedule for myself, I usually finish that day feeling pretty good. But if I plan a day where I say, I'm just going to have to get this, this, and this done, and there's just no way, you know, that I, that I can, that's when I start, um, you know, to feel the stress. And I, 
I describe myself as a recovering perfectionist. Like I've, I've kind of let go of the need to do things perfectly, but every once in a while it creeps up. Right. And that's also a source of stress for me is thinking that I'm putting, you know, imperfect podcasts or, you know, imperfect content on social media or, or whatever it is, you know, out there in the world. And so letting go of that has certainly been, um, you know, something that's helped with my stress as well. I think even the awareness is amazing. Just saying, oh, look at that. My brain is telling me this isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. Just the awareness creates a pause, creates a space. If you take a deep breath during that space, you're at least giving yourself a pause and, you know, a deep breath. When we do it properly, the diaphragm drops, the belly Mm -hmm. expands, and it sends a signal to your brain we're good. We have mm-hmm. enough oxygen. It's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> and then yes. you can really, really decide, does this piece of content really need a tweak or is it fine? Mm-hmm. Right? It's not a, oh, I have to be perfect or I have mm-hmm. to fix this. It's hmm, pause. Yeah. Right? Taking yeah. a look. Yeah. So I think if I can summarize a little bit of the things that we've talked about today, what I'm hearing is that there's really two two arms to stress that there's the stress that we actually do have control over in terms of putting boundaries in place in our lives, not multitasking, looking at our list of to-dos and making decisions around, you know, which ones we can maybe defer or which ones we can maybe, you know, put off for another time um, and to manage um, our lives and our schedules and our time and our energy um, in a way that's more in line with something that feels good with ourselves and our bodies so that that there's that one piece. But then on the other side, there are circumstances that happen in our lives that we have no control over. And, you know, that requires maybe a little bit of a different approach. And I think that's when the really focusing on sleep and nutrition and taking care of ourselves at the, at the most, you know, fundamental human needs um, sort of level, I think where that that's where that piece really, you know, comes into play. Yeah. I think about the the sleep and the nutrition and all that as putting money in the bank so mm-hmm. that when there's an extra something, right, an extra task, an extra problem, the car breaks down, you have this little pool of money in your bank that you can reach for and say, okay, mm-hmm. I can handle this. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that is so true, right? Because if I have a string of night shifts in the hospital and I'm sleep deprived for the next two weeks, my my threshold for what puts me over the edge is way, way, way lower. Right. So, you know, my husband will say something that will make me freak out. Whereas if he would say that, you know, on a normal week when I'm on a regular sleep schedule, it'll make me laugh. It's like water, water off a duck's back. So my threshold for what I can handle so much different when I'm sleep deprived. And so I can't imagine what it would be like for people chronically sleep deprived. Yeah, I mean, the literature suggests after one night of poor sleep, you're functioning like a person who's had two alcoholic beverages. That's crazy. Mm. Hey, yeah, just crazy. And what's sad about that is that becomes some people's new normal. It 
leads to usually poor nutrition and then a really deep inability to handle anything out of the schedule, Mm -hmm. out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, you think of a toddler having a tantrum. That's what the brain's going to do when it's chronically sleep deprived, chronically malnourished, chronically overburdened. It's Mm -hmm. just going to have a tantrum. And, you know, that's what we call burnout, right? The brain shuts you off and there you are. And it's, it's such a vicious cycle. And I see this a lot um, in my clients struggling with weight as well, is that a lot of us tend to be people pleasers. And of course, this isn't true of everybody who struggles with weight. And it's also very true of many people who don't. But, you know, those of us who are people pleasers and feeling like we have to live up to others' expectations and having all of these, what we're perceiving as external expectations put upon us, it, it, it leads to that being busy all the time, feeling pressure to do things perfectly, not getting the sleep and then eating. And then it just keeps, it just keeps going on and on and on. And I think what we're trying to say here today is that, you know, the answer isn't trying to find more time, right? The answer isn't trying to manage other people's expectations. It's about like looking inwards and looking at where you can put your boundaries and where you can prioritize your own sleep and health and wellness. And also like what you said, like finding what actually works for you, right? Because there are some days where a walk is exactly what I need. There are other days when doing yoga is what I need. And there are other days when having a nap, you know, is what I need, right? And it's taken me some time to figure out what it is my body, you know, actually, actually needs during different times of stress. Yeah, I like to, I like to tell my clients and therapists I talk to, you have so much more control than you think. Yeah. When we were going through the pandemic, we felt so, like, I felt like the rug got pulled out from under me. What is this? What's happening to our society? And really now I think it's about, let's, let, let me put the focus of control back on me. I have so much more control of how I think and feel than I realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. They actually have done studies now throughout the pandemic of people who have gained um, COVID weight versus people who haven't over the course of the pandemic. And, and it really did come down to this sense of control. So some people felt that they had totally lost control that all of their, you know, usual social support systems had been taken away, um, not being able to go to restaurants, lots of uncertainty in terms of what was going to happen next. Those were the type of people that ended up eating to have a sense of control over something. Then there were other people who looked at this. It's like, well, okay, now all of a sudden I have much more time because my social responsibilities aren't the same as they were before. Let's just take a look at how I can, you know, structure my life a little bit differently. And they felt like they had more control and those people either didn't gain weight or sometimes even lost weight as well. And really this was all just about perspective, right? Some people were focusing on, you know, what had been taken away and others were focusing on, um, well, look, here are the opportunities that I have now. So I think when it comes to stress management, our perspective of what's what the circumstances are in our lives is super important because we can focus on all of these things that feel 
out of our control, or we could look for the places where we can actually say, you know what, maybe this isn't working for me and how can I do it a little bit differently? All right. I just want to um, touch on one more topic before we close off for today, Kathleen. And we've mentioned meditation a few times. It's certainly an important part of my life. It's part of my morning routine to do a little bit of mindfulness meditation. And I notice that there's a big difference in how I feel throughout the rest of my day on days I do it versus days I don't. And also when I'm in a good, like a stretch, when I'm doing it consistently every day, it's much easier for me to kind of step back when I feel like I'm getting, you know, swept, swept away in the tasks of the day to um, recollect myself. And so I know we've mentioned, you know, find what works for you, but generally speaking, is there a role for meditation and stress management? Well, meditation, depending on the study you you read, affects every single part of the brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depends on how they do the study. But long-term studies are going to show an increase in cortical thickness and an expansion of the hippocampus, which is our memory area. And then some studies actually show the amygdala shrinking, which is that site, that place of our anxiety mm-hmm. kind of starts mm-hmm. in the amygdala. And the thing I hear most is I can't meditate. I can't sit still. I can't do it. A hundred percent. Every brain can meditate. It's just a matter of finding the one that works for you. There's Mm -hmm. really no literature that says which one is better. There just happens to be the most literature on mindfulness-based stress reduction from Mm -hmm the Kabat-Zinn school because he's done the most research, but that doesn't mean it's the best one. It's a good one. It just Mm -hmm. happens to have a lot of support. Um, For me, I, so I do a kind of meditation called neural sculpting and in neural sculpting, we try and involve the whole brain. So right and left. Mm -hmm. And my experience, experience prior to that was meditation. There was a lot of visualization and imagine yourself on a beach and things like that. And being a, just a teeny tiny bit type A, my left brain always <laughs> felt what I tell people is my left brain felt left out, right? I'd be picturing right. a beach and then over here, I'd be like, I got to pick up bread. Um, the kids forgot their shoes, right? Right. So in neural sculpting, we go back and forth. We mm-hmm. say, think about the rain, R-A-I-N, rain. Right. What color are your shoes, S-H-O-E-S? We go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it brings the whole brain on board. So for me, I found that that was the kind of meditation that I would do on my own. Right. I didn't need a class. I didn't need a teacher. I, you know, didn't, I don't usually use a CD, but sometimes when I'm having a really hard time attending, my mm-hmm. teacher has CDs that I have now put on my phone, right? Who has yeah, CDs sure. anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what that does, what you're saying, what you're describing is that the meditation, again, puts a deposit in the bank so that when you start feeling pulled out of your task, pulled out of your day, you can Mm -hmm. take a breath, center yourself, calm your brain and get back on track. And that's all it's doing for you, right? It's giving you a little space and control over the thoughts that 
could run wild and take your day over. Mm-hmm. Right? You could go down the rabbit hole of, oh my goodness, I'm behind. Uh, this patient needs that. I'm never going to get this done. When am I going to do? My-? Like you could go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you take a sure. breath, you center yourself, you bring yourself back because you meditated in the morning and you put a little deposit in the bank. Right. And you don't have to, like, the other thing I tell people is there's nothing magical about sitting cross-legged on a fancy cushion. <laughs> right. If sure. that hurts your knees, sit in a chair. Right. If you prefer to lie down, I mean, the reason people say not to meditate lying down is many people fall asleep, fall asleep. Mm-hmm. which my teacher believes you're doing the work anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, you probably are. Yeah. You know, if you fall asleep during my meditation class, I consider it a huge compliment. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And yeah. you could walk, like you could walk and meditate, you know, you could breathe, do breath work for meditation. Mm-hmm. There's so many kinds. It's really not a matter of, I can't, it's a matter of, you know, find what speaks to you, mm-hmm. find what you are going to do consistently. Right. You know, for me, like I'm not a runner. I hate running, running hurts. I don't like it, <laughs> but I see the value in, cardio, I see the value in exercise right. so to find something that I loved, right? Yeah. I ride a Peloton. Yeah. Is that better than running? Is it worse than running? It's better for me than running. Cause I do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, for you, you have your like routine, your meditation routine. Is it better than mine? It's better for you because right. you do it. Right. Exactly. And I think that is just one more place where we have to step back and stop thinking about what's the perfect way to do this. What's the right way to do this? What way should I be doing this? And just, you know, really again, looking inward and committing to doing what you know works for you. I think like the commitment piece is important as well, because when I talk to women, most women are able to tell me what they need. They're able to tell me like moving my body, going for a walk that settles my mind, that makes me feel better, that gives me energy, but I don't have any time for stuff like that. Right. And like there, there's always the, the but and the excuse that comes um, afterwards. And I like to challenge people to, you know, do some journaling or, or at least just some reflection on how your days look different when you do schedule a little bit of time to do these things that, you know, you need to do for yourself. Look at how much better you feel and perform and show up for your family and your kids and your friends. When you get a good night's sleep, like, you know, pay attention to how things look different when you're taking care of yourself versus when you aren't. And then, you know, tell me, do you think you can find time (laughs) now? Right. Cause I, and again, it's, it's, it's shifting from feeling like we have to be there for everybody else all of the time to understanding, like deeply understanding that we, we do show up better for others if we show up for ourselves first. And I think that's what the root of stress management um, is really. And I really like that you said a little bit of time, right? Mm-hmm. So all your, your clients that say, oh, I know if I take a walk and take a bath and read some fiction and 
make a healthy meal. Those things make me feel better, but I don't have time. Okay, pick one. Yeah. Just pick one. Yeah. Commit to yeah. five minutes. Mm-hmm. And once you start to feel the effects, the positive effects, you'll naturally gravitate towards doing more of what feels good. Exactly. And less of what feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is actually a point worth emphasizing is that if we, if we use, you know, running or meditation as an example, if it's not something you're routinely doing as part of your day, you're only going to make your stress levels higher. If you put the expectation that you're going to go, you know, sit on your mat for an hour (laughs) or go for a run for an hour. Right. And I think a lot of us, myself included, we get caught up in this. Well, if I can't go for an hour, like I might as well not do it at all. Like five minutes is just pointless. And that is absolutely not true. I feel, I feel just as good with five minutes on my mat than I do with 20. Right. And so it, it really is managing your expectations and being realistic with, with yourself as well. And just starting somewhere. Yeah. I had a great experience with my yoga teacher. One time we were in the middle of a training and he only had 20 minutes every morning for his practice. And that was enough. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is my time. This is my 20 minutes. I'm doing my 20 minutes. I'll see you at eight. Okay. And I thought, Oh, he's, you know, he's the teacher. He must be practicing three hours a day. And I'm sure there was a time in a life in his life that he did. But at that moment, he made 20 minutes enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, five minutes of a walk. Yeah. Andrew Weil has a breath uh, activity that he recommends. It's you do it five, five rounds. It takes about two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. He says, do it twice a day. You'll feel better. Yeah, it's not yeah. a lot. It's no, not a lot. No, no, it's it's not, right? And I, your yoga teacher is probably perfectly present in those 20 minutes doing only his yoga practice and nothing else. So it's a huge deposit in his bank account, more than what you would think 20 minutes could give you. Yeah. 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 Love it. Love it, Kathleen. All right. Um, thank you so much for talking with me about stress today. I learned a lot. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom that you want to share before we, we sign off? Um, I think just reminding yourself how much power you have over your day and your life and your feelings. And you don't have to do it perfect. You just have to do what feels best for you. And if what you like is not the same as what your friends like or your spouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what? So what? So what? <laughs> so what? That, that is a good phrase. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that one for a little while. So what? All right. Thank you so much, Kathleen. And if people want to learn more about you um, or work with you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at my website, which is radiatefromwithin.com. And they can find me on Instagram, uh, same, radiatefromwithin. And you can schedule time with me. You can schedule a discovery call. Um, I provide one-to-one coaching, private coaching over Zoom. Um, yeah. That's Wonderful. where I am. I love it. And we'll put all of that information in the show notes uh, for you as well. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Kathleen.
All right, so there you have it. I loved that conversation with Kathleen. One of the things that resonated with me the most was this concept of viewing stress like the rain. I loved that metaphor and that, you know, we don't say how do we manage the rain better. We acknowledge that it's raining and then we make decisions about how we're going to go about our day in the context of the rain being there. And when I heard this metaphor, it kind of really changed the way I look at stress in my own life um, and that instead of, you know, trying to make it go away or push it away. I've just been acknowledging that, you know what, this is the reality of my day today. This is the reality of the circumstances I find my find myself in. And now how am I going to navigate through this day in a way that's going to leave me feeling the most peace at the end of it all. And I found that's really been helpful for me. Um, I've also really liked this neuroscoping neurosculpting meditation practice that uh, Kathleen talked about in the in the episode. Um, I have gone to the website. I've also gone to Kathleen's webpage and done some of the meditations that she has there. It's absolutely phenomenal and I highly encourage you to go check her out. Her website again is radiatefromwithin.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.